In a recent video with Pastor Mark Driscoll and Pastor Russell Johnson, they outlined how in their respective churches they deal with the tension of the culture, government, and the gospel. Their unashamed approach flies in the face of many churches today and how they handle the issue. So should the church take an aggressive issue regarding social and political issues in our day? Let's see what the Bible says about that. Hey, I'm so glad that you're joining us here on the podcast today. We've got a great episode for us, all right? So if you're on YouTube, if you would go ahead and like and subscribe to the channel, we've got podcasts coming out every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. And if you're listening on any other podcast form, I'm glad that you are joining us. So again, today we've got an awesome podcast. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's good. So I recently came across a video that is put out by Mark Driscoll. Uh, pastor. He's um, a pastor and author, the fi- uh, founder, I guess we would say, of uh, Real Faith Ministries that's located in um, a part of Trinity Church, I guess, in Scottsdale, Arizona. And then um, in the 1996, Mark Driscoll started or was co-founder of a church in Seattle, Washington called Mars Hill. So back in the day, whenever I was considering starting a church. He was one of the sources that I, I looked at, some of the stuff that they had done at Mars Hill. It was very interesting mm-hmm. to me. So uh, I followed him across the years. I've known him. He's written a lot of books. And then just this past couple of years, we came across a guy uh, we met or saw on TikTok originally and started mm-hmm. following him and some of his messages. Yeah. His name's Russell Johnson. Yeah, He's a pastor in Washington in a very small town I'd never heard of before. Mm-hmm. Uh, called, what is it? Snohomish. Snohomish. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, Truett's looked up a little bit more about mm-hmm. him than, yeah. than I have even. So. Yeah, I've I've followed him uh, almost about two years now, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he comes out just with some amazing sermons, very biblically based. Every one of his sermons are all, yeah. all by the scriptures. Yeah. And it's, it's incredible how he uses <laughs> the text to speak to the current day culture situations. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a super huge advocate for pro-life, super huge advocate mm-hmm. for justice, super huge advocate for, uh, you know, families growing in yeah. their faith together. <clears throat> you know, he does talk a lot politically, but mm-hmm. he explains why he does because, you know, yeah. politics are, you know, that is what people are flocking to as their God, the government yeah. and all that stuff. And so- Interesting. They are calling it out. The Pursuit Northwest is their church name, mm-hmm. and they are calling out um, the idolatry of the government and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And they say, "Hey, we're here to base our lives entirely on the Bible." Yeah, so. of course, uh, he especially is in an area uh, that's very different than here us yeah. in the South and Absolutely. Bible Belt region. They're yeah, in the Northwest. I mean, they're in an area again, like not they're not far from Seattle. They're about forty-five minutes north of Seattle, mm. and so again, Seattle is a very, very woke pagan town. Yeah. you know, they're not like. <clears throat> Oh, we're mostly everyone here. We can just assume are Christians. You yeah. know, it's like you're insane if you're thought yeah. to be even close to a Christian. So, and he's taking some pretty aggressive stances to call out mm-hmm. uh, paganism and yeah. witchcraft mm-hmm. and evil in their yep. area and their region. And he's faced some backlash yeah. and taken some hatred for it. Lots. I mean, like they just opened up a Seattle <laughs> campus and they've got people every week that are trash in their campus that wow. are throwing bricks through windows and their, you know, death mm. threats to their family and all that kind of stuff. And he'll come out with a video right back at him and say, Hey, 
meet me here. I'll yeah. be here on Sunday. It's crazy. It's bold. It's yeah. different. It's totally different animal than it is around here in, yeah. in Dallas, Texas. And you're taking some stands back during the COVID era. You oh, know, yeah. when government was really clamping down mm-hmm. and restricting the, the church, he, he chose not to. Yeah. He said, we're not going to shut down. Yeah. And so he faced backlash from that yeah. as well. Yeah. So they these two men have come out with a video. Mark Driscoll put it out. But mm-hmm. the two of them went out and it's called War Plan. So mm-hmm. it, it really speaks to their approach to dealing with uh, those issues today and uh, how the church should, why the church should deal with, yeah. specifically deal with government and political issues. And mm-hmm. that's not popular today. No. In the recent years, especially since COVID, you mm-hmm. begin to see this uh, dividing line between churches mm-hmm. choosing um, to either one, we'll just we'll just go along with the flow. Let's yeah. not cause any problems. Let's not let's not talk about government issues. Mm-hmm. Um, many would say that stuff belongs out in the world, whereas the church should just create its own environment where the kingdom alone and it's separate mm-hmm. from the kingdoms of this world. But these two men, and this is more where we stand as as vertical churches, the kingdom of God is meant to interrupt the kingdoms of man here on yeah. this world and to speak into the darkness yeah. and to set the captives free. Absolutely. And it is not a segmented section mm-hmm. uh, meant to be set aside apart from the culture, but something that's meant to go into the culture uh, just as Jesus did, we believe. So yeah. um, we're talking more than we want these <laughs> this video yeah. to be. So um, yeah. what we're going to do today is we're going to listen to this interview with Mark Driscoll and Russell Johnson. We'll stop along the way and make some comments. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not here today to critique what they have to say. No. Instead, much more to support what they have to say and talk about what we like about it yeah. and where we align with it yeah. as well. Absolutely. Looking forward to that. So let's jump right into their video, The War Plan. All right, Pastor Mark here with my friend, Pastor Russell. Maybe um, we're going to talk a little bit about politics and should pastors and ministry leaders be politically engaged, vocal, and involved. But before that, maybe a quick introduction, 10,000-foot view, your life introduction, who you are, for those that don't know. Yeah, you know, I was born and raised uh, in the Pacific Northwest and actually cut my teeth in the political world. I was a lobbyist. I worked uh, for the State House of Representatives, worked for a number of congressional, gubernatorial, Senate campaigns. How old were you like in those days? You know, that was real young. It was 18. Uh, in a lot of ways, politics is a young man's game because you're just I'm working crazy hours. And uh, I really thought that I would do that for the rest of my life. I'd planned to move to Washington, D.C. and work for the um, House of Representatives here on the East Coast. And God had other plans, somehow ended up in full-time ministry as a young adult pastor at an Assemblies of God church. And then the Lord led me to plant about three years after that. And uh, we planted a church originally in a city called Snohomish, nine years ago called Just north Pursuit. north of Seattle, yeah. Yeah, about 40, 45 minutes north of the airport. And then last year, we put a campus in Seattle right next to the University of Washington and have been just on a wild ride ever since. So... Um Maybe let's talk about that real quick. So um, church is like nine years old now. Yes, sir. And so you were out in a more rural area, but now you've you know opened a campus, as you said, in the city. For those who are still in America and don't live in places like Seattle, um, mm. what is it like to have a campus in that kind of urban area? Because what you hear a lot about is tolerance, diversity, inclusivity, everybody's welcome. So have you gotten a lot of hugs from the Rainbow Coalition in Seattle? Yeah, they threw a welcoming parade committee for us, and it was just, you know, incredible. You know, planting in Snohomish, Snohomish is a town of 10,000. 
It's a rural blue collar agricultural community filled with a lot of, you know, conservative type families. And the reason why we planted originally in Snohomish is because I, I felt like the Lord said, uh, if uh, I can do it in Snohomish, I can do it anywhere. And God has been super faithful to us in that, in that community. But I originally grew up in Seattle. I was born and raised in Ballard, which was very close to one of your original campuses uh, as well. And I knew that there would be a time where God would open a door for us to, to plant in that city. And about a year ago, a former Christian science building, two blocks from the University of Washington on Frat Row became available. It's a historic property, 100 years old, and it was the first Christian science cult building in the city. Historic, stained glass, it feels very I've been there, I tried to world. buy it like 20 years ago, yeah. <laughs> and, and there's no parking. So. There's zero parking, it's <laughs> yeah. completely chaotic, and it's a completely different world. Uh, planting in Seattle has been an uphill battle where you feel like you're fighting principalities and powers of darkness every day of the week and a few times on Sunday. So every time we show up on Sunday, I say, what door's broken now? What window's broken now? What person has to be removed from service, security, those types of things. In the midst of it, we're seeing a ton of young men and young women come to faith, getting baptized in water, committing their lives to Christ. And so the harvest is ripe in Seattle, but it's like Paul says you know, to the church in Corinth, he says, God has opened a door for me in Ephesus, but on the other side, wait, many adversaries. Mm -hmm. And so it has been filled with adversarial circumstance, but I feel like really for Snohomish, in many ways that was like our lion and bear. You know, when David fights Goliath, he says, you know, I killed the lion and the bear and today I will kill you. And so I feel like planting in Snohomish, it gave us the confidence that if God hadn't failed us before, he won't fail us now. And it, it gave us this confidence to do this thing in Seattle. But you know, the building's been vandalized. We've been protested and picketed. They've written stories about us. But every time they do, you know, you catch flack when you're over the target. And for me, especially planting a spirit-filled, um, uh, you know, church uh, campus in that region, if you're not catching flack, if they're not trying to cancel you, if they're not trying to throw you into the fiery furnace, you know, you're probably not doing much of anything worthwhile. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Just a couple things right off the bat. I think, man, that's the kind of stuff you used to hear, at least for me. That, that happened in other countries, you know, that mm -hmm. was the stuff of spiritual wow. warfare and you sent missionaries into these countries where they yeah. rejected the gospel, but that just wow. didn't happen in America. But here it is, we're talking about in one of our own 50 states. Yeah. It's happening. Yeah, many of the states. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is, yeah, the just direct story straight from Washington, you know, and, and that's the thing that I think is just like, you know, and one hand encouraging and one hand frightening mm -hmm. is that like, <clears throat> this is how we're expected to live. This yeah. is how we ought to be living our Christian life is in a way that people actually question, why are you doing things like this? And right. people actually recognizing, hey, you're different. You're mm -hmm. a believer, you mm -hmm. know, and, and them, you know, taking a stance. And if you're not taking a stance, you'll know, you know, if you're taking a stance or not by how people respond to you. Yeah, you know? that's true. And you have this awkward, uh, I don't say awkward, maybe this fine line between you want to provide a church environment that's safe mm -hmm. for families and, mm -hmm. and believers, mm -hmm. but at the same time, there should be this ad advancing forward into, yeah. again, the, the darkness, darkness into the kingdoms of this world yeah. and, and rescuing captives who are set yeah. free. So there has to be some of that tension, mm -hmm. I think, in, in, in ministry. Yeah, because just dancing in the light, you know, and staying, <laughs> hey, we're not a part of all this kind of stuff all the time. It's like, right. 
there starts to become a separation almost yes. between like, okay, I'll go do all my worldly life things and then I'll yeah. come over here and forget all those things even happened, yeah. have a nice, fun, safe, happy time. And then right. I'm going to go back into like, oh, life is miserable and terrible. And I really actually hate myself, you know? Right. Yeah. And there's no sense of knowing how to walk in the light while I'm in walking well, in some in dark regions. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, you'll hear um, Russell talk about uh, spirit filled and um, some of his beliefs. Um, if there's any difference I've noticed between maybe him and us is that mm-hmm. uh, it's maybe down that line. He believes mm-hmm. in the word of God being the word of God. He believes in the the death of Jesus for our sins, the resurrection Born of it. Jesus. Yep. A little bit different for us maybe on uh, gifts, Spirit, of, yeah. gifts of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That's about it though. The That's rest a, of it down yes. the line, everything I've heard from his messages, I really, really like. Yep. So. Uh, I'm just going to clarify it. some of that as yep. we go forward. Let's, let's talk. See what he has to say next. So we feel like we stand at the gates of hell and proclaim the gospel, and we're seeing God do some incredible things in the midst of a rather dark city that is filled with people. And we were talking about this a little yesterday. It, they are not just neutral as it pertains to the gospel. So this is where the cult. This is where the culture has shifted. It used to be, I think Christianity is wrong, but now there are some. They would say Christianity is immoral. 100%. And if it's wrong, you ignore it or mock it. If it's immoral, you have to oppose and stop it. Yes. And that's that's worth pausing on right there and yeah. just thinking about <clears throat> that. That's true. It used to be the shift or the, it used to be that the gospel was generally accepted. I'm thinking back, yeah. you know, 70s and 80s mm-hmm. in that era. It was it was a respectable thing to go yeah. to church. Uh-huh. Things slowly began to change. And then you come into the 2000s. Uh, late 2000s, and it's like, oh, you go to church. Okay. Oh, you're still bound by that whole religious thing? <laughs> yeah, so there was a little bit of beginning to be disconnect, and and it has shifted in some some regions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we feel it across the United States, and maybe in some ways around the world, where mm-hmm. now there's this, not just difference of opinion, but there's this antagonism. Yeah. That yeah. um, some of the words of Jesus begin to start ringing a little bit differently in our ears mm-hmm. about those who believe in me will will face persecution. Mm-hmm. You will be you will walk through the fire in a sense. Yeah. So, which again, the the difference being, it used to be, oh, Christianity is just wrong, and mm-hmm. if it's wrong, you can just be like, ah, you're an idiot for thinking that. Right. But in thinking, <laughs> Christianity is inherently immoral. It is a yes. bad thing right. for this world. You have to seek to annihilate it. Right. You know, that's that's at least what's happening. Yeah, that puts us in a in a different scenario that we have to really be aware of yeah. today. So that's what we're seeing now is Christ, Christianity, and biblical belief. It's uh, it's something that is evil and needs to be stopped. And so, you know, when the Bible talks about what are those who call evil good, good evil, light darkness, darkness light, that's exactly what it is. It's like Jesus and the Bible is immoral. Right. It's 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 unethical. It needs to be stopped. Absolutely. The justice is opposing it. Right. Right. And we find ourselves in this kind of odd cultural moment where, you know, the way that you prove your value to the secular system is by protesting all of the things that culture tells you exist as these kind of structural systemic evils. And of course, Christendom is at the top of that list. And we live in this very activist oriented generation that is looking for a cause that is bigger than themselves to give them some sense of altruistic, esoteric value. And so you're right, we, we have, as a society, we have developed a value statement around opposing 
biblical ideas, values, and principles. And so nothing is more shocking than somebody who unapologetically heralds the gospel and says, no, we just believe what the text says. Apologize for it or try to hedge our bets by, you know, softening or reducing the gospel to fit within the framework of therapeutic deism. We're just, we're not going to do that. We're going to be unapologetic about what the scriptures teach, you know, but for me over this last season, what I feel like God has done in the church is he's really separated the sheep and the goats. I mean, this has been a season this of is, separation. So this is a pruning season in evangelicalism. Yes exacerbated by COVID and, you know, are you going to let God or government dictate the future of your church, BLM and the avalanche of social justice activism led by cultural Marxists and lesbians who created a Ponzi scheme and called it justice, which right. is amazing. It was just a real estate grab by a couple of lesbians. I mean, that's all BLM is. And, and then in that as well, you've got a generational woke apostasy that is well underway. And a lot of it is younger pastors who don't have any biblical mooring. They don't have any theological structure and they're just living for social media platform and influence. And so, yeah. wow, that's, that's a whole lot right yeah. there, but it's so true. A bunch of blankets and not blanket statements, but a bunch of like, this is what's going on, calling out yep. the general <clears throat> church, you know, yep. you know. It's just it's true. So that that whole era of COVID shutdowns, George Floyd, BLM, yeah. mm -hmm. all of that began to provide a tear right down the middle and, and it forced churches to have to take a stand on one side or the other. And so uh, do you bow to the wishes and whims of government? Are you going to bow to all of the... Uh, the social issues being touted in the day? Are you going to mm -hmm. follow along those lines and, and cower to them? Or are you mm -hmm. going to stand up into the truth of the gospel? And, and these two mm -hmm. men managed to stay truthful to the word of God, I believe. Yeah. And that was our goal as well. Yeah. But we've watched a lot of churches struggle and dance back and forth and some fall mm -hmm. and lose the power of the gospel uh, in as, as a result. Mm -hmm. Because, so, again, like... If you listen to them often, they say things about like, we're not here just to care for those who are offended and mm -hmm. not just to make people who are offended feel a little bit better about themselves. But mm -hmm. we are here <clears throat> to present the truth, like he's saying, unashamedly. Yeah. We, are, yeah. we are going to say, this is what the text says. Yeah. It's not me. This is what the text says. Right. This is what we're falling in line with because this is where the power is because we've seen this change people's lives, yeah. you know? Yeah. And they use this phrase. He'll use it again. He said, uh, therapeutic deism. Yeah. Uh, like, wow. What an awesome term. It's <laughs> a great description of, of, of where a lot of people have fallen that I just want a deity who will come along and make me feel better about myself. Mm -hmm. uh, I just need something therapeutic, you know, to pat me on the back uh, mm -hmm. instead of, set me free from my sin, set me free from myself, set me free from what has held me. So uh, that is what they're dealing with here, this, this tearing, this drawing a line, this, this revealing of the, the sheep and the goats. Oh, yeah, I mean, what you're seeing is a massive pruning, a massive generational apostasy, and you're seeing people leave the church, and I think it's because the church has left them. Right, right. It's like, if the church doesn't believe the Bible, why would I go? If the pastor doesn't have any courage, why would I follow? right. Right. It, that, that, that's 100 percent it. And, and we've got, I think, an entire generation of, you know, quote unquote, ecclesiastical leaders who have been more discipled by mainstream media 
than they have by the word of God. They lack deep spiritual formation. And you know, this is not the Sunday school generation that our parents grew up in. If you are not firmly planted on the foundation of Christ, his truth, his unchanging word, you know, you, 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 you are a lone sheep in a culture filled with wolves that are looking to pick you off. And, and you know, one of, one, of the, one of the values that we have seen kind of rise to the surface is this, this, this you know, kind of engendered, um, you know, social need for what I call weaponized empathy. It's the cult of empathy. Uh, I, we just want to empathize with where people are at and we just want to come alongside and make space for them and walk alongside of them. And, you know, I, 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 I want to become all things to all men that, that I may win some as well. Yeah, but but if in doing so, we lose our mooring. Well, if the cold, if the cold repentance precedes the gospel, then empathy would be the neutralization of repentance. Right. Because instead of saying, I understand you, I affirm you, I walk with you, you know, I, uh, I, I sympathize with you. It's like, no, no, I call you to repentance. Correct. That's worth pausing on because that's yeah. a big statement he's making right there. Mm-hmm. His premise is, is what the scripture says, that the call to salvation <clears throat> is preceded by a call to repentance. Yeah. So for anyone who comes to Christ, the call is to repent, is to change yeah. first. You can't, you can't come to him for salvation unless you're willing to leave your sin. So... His point, Mark Driscoll's point is, is if if there's something that comes along and just says, well, I'm here to understand you. I'm here to mm-hmm. empathize with you. That's nice. That's 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 helpful, I guess. Yeah. But if it doesn't lead them to change yeah. and uh, walk away from where they've been, then are we really helping them be saved? Are they exactly. being rescued from exactly. their sin or are they just being coddled and Pat it on the back so that they continue on and exactly. not feel as badly about their sin. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like that, Ooh. the whole empathy thing. That's that's the nicest. Like, oh wow, that is so kind. Yeah. But is that what the be all end all of Christianity and our faith should be? Is right. just that's just we're nice. Yeah, we're kind. It can't be. It just can't be. Right. There's got to be more than that. There's a place for uh, showing compassion. Absolutely. Um, There's a place for showing mercy and grace. But there seems to be this connection that 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 demonstration comes especially for those who have repented and turned away from their sin, Uh, not those who are uh, demanding celebration Mm -hmm. of their sin. To to think that that what they need in their sin is someone to affirm them and reassure them and uh, you know provide comfort for them in that is not going to free them from their sin. It's going to cause them to become even more confused and confined to their sin. Yep. So. Yep. You got something else before we go back yeah. to these guys? I'm trying to find a verse that says um, about how the mercy of God leads to repentance or the kindness of God. Mm-hmm. It's in Romans 2. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyways, yeah. So this is 2 four. It says, Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? And oftentimes that yes. gets quoted like, see, that's what leads people to repentance, yes. the goodness and the kindness and the love of God. Yes, that's true. But right. Romans 2 <laughs> is only in light of Romans 1, yes. which talks about the judgment of God. Yes. The whole first chapter is all about 
this right here is the wrath of God revealed. Right. This right here is the judgment of God on the earth and yep. in man. And this is what this looks like. Yeah. And when you recognize these things and then you recognize the gift of Jesus and you recognize what God has done to put righteousness in our account, yeah. that right there leads you to repentance right. because you recognize what's bad. But for the person who's just stuck in sin and they go, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. That person's like, all right, well, yeah. I guess I can stay in this then because that person says it's all right. Yeah, because and, and we, then as the church, we accept, we affirm you, yeah. we stand with you, we mm -hmm. support you, yeah. come join us. With no call to, hey, what you're doing is wrong yeah. and you need to stop. Yeah, and you're in bondage and yes. there's a way for you to be free. Yeah. Yeah, the, the call to the gospel requires repentance. Yep. So, all right, let's go on. So I think that the cult of empathy, it, it looks like Christianity, but really what it is, it's a, it's a bunch of cowards. Mm -hmm. It's, it's mm -hmm. an Ahab. <clears throat> right. Right. And, and the result is you don't get in trouble, but you also don't get converts. Correct. Correct. Cause there's no anointing on a coward. It's interesting in revelation. They have this list. There's this list of all these people who don't make it into right. the city. Right. Right. You know, right. it's the sexually immoral, the witches and the cowards. Right. Right. And Jesus is like, my kingdom is not made for cowards. Right. And right. the cult of them is a bunch of beta males that are cowards. Mm -hmm. they, mm -hmm. they, they want to be liked and approved. And that's that whole mainstream evangelical soft woke lane. The soft woke lane is not, it's not what they say, it's what they don't say. It's right. not what they do, it's what they don't do. Right. So, you know, George Floyd, they're going to make sure they're virtue signaling, you know, but when it comes to abortion and right to life, nothing. Right. Right. Well, I think we even saw this when Roe v. Wade got overturned. It was crickets. It was crickets in many pulpits across the nation. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, the reason why I got involved in the public policy space to begin with was because I had a conviction on the great moral issues in the political world, the issues of life, family and marriage. So for me, when Roe v. Wade got overturned, I was like, we got to celebrate this thing. We've got a rally behind this. This is incredible. This is the result of decades of prayer and of work behind the scenes to bring us to this moment. And you had a lot of other folks who either didn't say anything or they actually aligned themselves with the wrong team. Yeah, there's like, oh, we, we shouldn't celebrate because then we're not being empathetic toward those who are pro-death. It's crazy to me. And it just, it, 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 ref, it, it, it reflects on uh, a, a pretty sad state for, for evangelicalism in, in our nation that we are such at that place now where pastors, leaders, and, and entire congregations have been discipled in the wrong direction to such a degree that their mouths have been shut, their consciences have been seared, and they no longer have the ability to be a prophetic voice to the culture that they are in. So they've got to align themselves with every social value, with every new activist program that comes out, with every new woke heresy that finds itself being paraded through our social institutions. And at some point, you've got to draw the line and say, hey, look, this far, no further. And I really feel like, you know, the church has a sovereign opportunity in this hour to be the canary in the coal mine that says, y'all got to wake up. You know, it was Fulton Sheen, who was a Catholic theologian. He said, a religion that does not interfere with the social order will soon find a social order that is more than willing to interfere with religion. And so for me, like we, 
it, you, you, we, we cannot live in this nice, hermetically sealed, bifurcated world where we have our nice little safe churches and we pay the electrical bill and we have potlucks once a month and we call it kingdom living while the world goes to hell around us. We, we do not live in a bifurcated era. And the reality is, is that no, religion has not become political. Politics has become religious. Well, and, I, and, I, and before we get into that, that's, yeah, that's a that's whole just, thing that's gonna be great. I love what they talk about that. Yeah. But this whole idea of the cult of empathy, and, and, and the culture we live in today, yeah. uh, that whole thing about the cult of empathy is interesting enough. Mm-hmm. But we've talked a bit about this, that we mm-hmm. live in a different day today. Yeah. The culture has changed. This is not where we were in 2010, no. 2005, mm-hmm. certainly not 1995. No. Hardly even 2018. <clears throat> That's true. That's true. <laughs> you know, but... Still. So, so does that mean that there's a different demand upon the church and pastors in this day because the culture has changed? Thoughts? I would say the pastors, leaders need to and have to. And I think it goes back to the words they're saying, cowardice and mm-hmm, courage, you know, mm-hmm. have to be filled with courage to be able to speak into and again like whenever they say having a prophetic voice having a voice right. that boldly loudly declares the truth into the yeah. into the realms in which they live not brand new prophecies made up things right. but having a voice that boldly courageously speaks the truth into mm-hmm. what the current day matters are yeah. if we just act like well let's just only Teach, like, yes, of obviously teach the Bible, but mm-hmm. teach the Bible in the lens of the world in which we're living today. Yeah, and not just create small social circles that yeah. are safe within yeah. them, where, yeah. as he says, you know, we have potlucks, we pay electrical bills. Yeah. Uh, that's nice. And, that's and that great. was that was great ministry in the 80s and 90s, mm-hmm. maybe 2000s, you know. Uh, the church back then was building family life centers. I remember all that, the whole era, and we were going to create, you know, church is going to be this fun, safe family place to be, which it should, and it mm-hmm. is. But it's different. It's today. different today. Yeah. Um, you know, we live in a war zone yeah, today. I was going to say, again, it goes back to that if we're trying to reach people for Christ, if we are trying to save people from going to hell, working with all our might to, you know, reach them, right? then we can't just be sitting in something that worked 20 years ago. We have yeah. to go out into the war zone. We have yeah. to go out into where people are living yeah. and speak the truth to them. Yeah. Uh, back in the day, you know, it was almost as though uh, the church was seeking to build um, almost a lot of Christians' ministries even did this. They're building theme parks, you know, and and fun, safe places to yeah. come be a Christian. It's almost like cruise ships in the midst of vacation land, you know, uh-huh. which is, uh-huh. you know, that was the thing. But today, it's almost like, hey, we're building cruise ships and fun zones to live in yeah. in the midst of a war zone yeah. where people are dying and yeah. people are being taken captive. Exactly. And principalities and powers are winning and ruling mm-hmm. the day. Mm-hmm. Yet often the church just sit back, yeah. sits back playing soft games exactly. and, 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 and creating soft environments yeah. and not and that, calling people out. And that stuff is not going to reach this generation. It's not going to reach the ones who are actively mm-hmm. always consistently constantly being told you have something wrong with you and the only thing to do is medicate it you know yeah. it, that oh hey just come have a great nice little time over here yeah that how is that person being impacted by oh i just go have a nice time but at the same time i have no clue what my purpose is i have no right. clue who i am mm-hmm. at my core all this stuff yeah 
I mean, and as much as they seek being affirmed and they're finding yeah. affirmation, it's still not working for exactly. them. Exactly. Exactly. All right, let's go on. Go Rangers. <laughs> and um, there was somebody on it, I think it was NPR, made a very interesting statement. They said that uh, church attendance, religious devotion is significantly down. But um, many of the people who are no longer attending church would still claim to be Christian, and they have shifted their church and worship toward politics and activism. Interesting. And that now political activism and getting together for political meetings and what you're seeing at some political activist meetings on the left and right is worship and it feels more like a church service. Right. That's true. And so, you know, within that, um, what would, because this is what a lot of, what a lot of cowards like to say is, uh, I, I can't deal with that. That's political. Um, what would your response be to those pastors who, and, and we're dealing with it here in Arizona, we've got a pro-death uh, attempt to get abortion into the state constitution. Wow. And um, literally, it's abortion at any time for any reason done by anyone. I mean, mm. literally, if this passes, your podiatrist or your personal trainer could terminate the life of your child. I mean, it's, this is, I mean, people in California would probably blush at this bill. Crazy. And, and I'm talking to some pastors and they're like, well, that's political. I'm like, no, like they're right now they're beheading, Hamas is beheading babies. Right. And everybody's mortified. And it's like, uh, we do that every day. Right. And, uh, we just don't put it, live stream on the internet, but you should be equally horrified. Right. So what, what would you say to pastors who are like, I can't get into anything political? Right. I mean, for 2000 years of church history, the body of Christ has had a rich legacy of being engaged in the public policy space, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's William Wilberforce and in the ending of, of slavery, uh, whether it's uh, Susan B. Anthony and and uh, some of the you know pro-life movement, the, when you look at 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 the at the canopy of church history, the church has always been on the front lines of advocating for Christological legislation that helps the country and the world look more like the kingdom. You know, it, it, I think sometimes. Um, what people are scared of is being accused of, of being a Christian nationalist or you want to end freedom of religion. You don't want to have freedom of speech. No, I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about allowing the values that you hold dear in your religious life to also transcend into your public life. We see this all the time with political candidates on stage when they get asked about their religious values. They say, well, that's my private religious belief. There is no such thing as a private religious belief. Uh, when you have a worldview that's been formed by Christ, that impacts every realm of society that you interact with. Right. And the reality is, is that there is no space in our world today in which Christ is not king. There's a lot of spaces that don't recognize Christ as king, but he, his authority and his dominion covers the earth. And, um, you know, the the the... the uh, and you're seeing this, and I think that was a great point that, 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 that you raised. You're seeing these political rallies that end up looking more like church services because really what it is trying to address is the great spiritual need that people face in the corridors of the human heart. They don't know where to put it. They don't know how to exercise it. And without Christ, the closest thing to that is the political avenue. Mm -hmm.
You know, I tell our church, I go, if you talk more about the second coming of Trump than you do the second coming of Christ, you're part of the problem. If you quote more from the CDC guidelines than you do from scripture, you're part of the problem. And so I'm not talking about turning politics into an idol, but instead allowing it to be properly aligned under our allegiance and our fidelity to Christ. And unless Christ informs the way that we interact in civil society, then I feel like we have sold the gospel short of its transformative power. And so, uh, you know, I don't need to turn pulpits into Fox News roundtables. We don't need to turn pastors into Tucker Carlson talking heads. But what we do need to do is infuse courage into ecclesiastical leaders to go, look, uh, just like Esther, who went before the king from the advice of Mordecai, who said, if you don't speak now, don't think that your family will be safe. They'll come for them and then they'll come for you. And the reality is, you know, uh, the, the doctrine of appeasement that, you know, feeds the alligator hoping it will be eaten last has become a theological paradigm that people subscribe to and they don't even know it. And so for me, the doctrine of appeasement, say nothing, do nothing, be nothing, don't rattle the boat, don't get protested, don't get canceled, don't get picketed. And as long as you can do that, we're gonna be super seeker sensitive and that's our secret strategy to bring people in. Well, you're bringing people in, but they're either barely saved, unsaved, or they're definitely not discipled. What are we discipling people to if we don't give them the courage to be something more than an echo of the Babylonian culture we live in? And so, you know, for me, I, you know, part of this is my political background. I'm interested in it anyways. And look, we don't have to turn Sunday morning into everybody's got to vote this way on the bond issue and here's what the property taxes are doing. But on the great moral questions of our day, we, if we murder, don't have the courage to speak. Are we going to murder babies? Right. Are they going to indoctrinate our children into mental illness, which is gender dysphoria? Mm -hmm. Fused, is the state going to seize and mutilate them? Are they going to close our church? Are they going to force us to marry two dudes? I mean, it's, it's at the point now where we're not even talking about political issues. We're talking about family and faith and freedom. Right. And, you know, some people don't understand this, but like, like politics. So if you read the storyline of the Bible, it's almost always God versus government. That's in Egypt. Um, that's in the days of Nehemiah, that's in the days of Daniel and the Babylonian and Persian empires. Um, that's for sure the case with Jesus. He is executed by the state. Right. That's with Paul. He is arrested and beheaded by the state. I mean, the government is usually not a fan. I mean, that's in the days of Elijah with Ahab and Jezebel. So at the end of the day, what you're seeing is you're seeing the government seeking to do what the government has always sought to do. And that's to be antichrist, which is to replace Christ, yes. to remove Christ and to replace Christ. And, and if we are Christians and we believe that the basic principles of the Bible lead to better human life and flourishing. I mean, cause like, you, you know, when you go to downtown Seattle, downtown Portland, downtown Albuquerque, downtown Detroit, downtown Chicago, anywhere where the government really has been antichrist, it is not human life and flourishing. No. It is not that people are filled with joy, that they are um, free, and they are prosperous. It's not working. Correct. It is. That's so good what he's talking about right there, this whole idea that when you when you have a culture that removes God, then mm -hmm. they replace it with something else. And right now, yeah. government 
is becoming God. That's what they're mm-hmm. seeking for. That's what mm-hmm. we find within our own nation is where government serves as this one who decides all things and yeah. rules over all things and legislates what you can say and legislates what happens on social media yeah. and legislates and defines what is good and what mm-hmm. is not and becomes the provider. It's the yeah. provider for all things. It's yeah. provider for your income, provider for your health insurance, provider for your security. Yeah. Your kid's knowledge and your kid's uh, yeah. upbringing. Your, and your all education, that your values, the government will tell you, the government will tell you. And mm-hmm. this is what we're watching in mm-hmm. our day today. And, and there has to be a place where the church steps up up, as I've said, and draws lines and says, no, no more. Yeah. We're not going to do that. And yeah. the church's call is to help families who are mm-hmm. feeling all of that inside, and they don't know what to do about it, but they mm-hmm. feel the pinch. They feel yeah. the pull. They they don't know what to do about, mm-hmm. well, my child is being told wrong things yeah. by this school, by this culture, by this setting. Mm-hmm. What am I supposed to do? Where Am I supposed to just go along with this? Am I supposed to just exactly. affirm this? Am I supposed to just... Shrug it child off. on the yeah, back exactly. and say, well, you, I'm praying for you. Yeah. Is there more? The church has yeah. to have that answer. Yeah, absolutely. Again, like the faith, family, and freedoms is so huge because all three of those things are just being so greatly attacked. Mm. And who are we, you know, as the church to just be like, well, that's tough, you know, because that, that can't just be the role of the church to be like, well, I guess they will get it all figured out and we're just going to stay here and act like we're not going to be um, touched at all by the government. Like yeah. we saw that happen all throughout COVID, you know. Yeah, that's true. All right, let's move on. Just not working. Correct. And so, so if we really do love people, to tell them that we empathize with them drinking antifreeze because that's their personal choice is not a loving action. Correct. It's, it's, a, it, it's, it's, it's allowing people, it's supporting people in self-destruction. Right. And so... So for you, though, I mean, even practically on the local side, we were talking about this a little bit. Some people don't understand this, but like even government is trying to find a way to get rid of church. Like I've got a buddy in New York and, you know, COVID hit. And if you rent a building, you're dead man walking. You can't meet anywhere. Right. And now they've got the, you know, they've got all the immigrants. And so what they're doing, for example, in New York, they are they are paying churches to house migrants which means they can no longer be open for worship, which means the government has effectively taken over and closed the churches forever. Interesting. Like this is all very, this is a political move. Right, right. And I, I think what people don't understand, you know, uh, sometimes uh, folks who are, are more conservative, you know, we get lambasted from folks on the other side as, well, this is why young people are leaving the church and all the church is interested in is the culture wars and we're so past the culture wars and we're above that. And we don't, we want to be known by what we're for, not what we're against, you know, all of this kind of, you know, fractured, you know, uh, dime store philosophical statements. But here's the reality. Wars are downstream from the spirit wars. Mm-hmm. And so when we're going after cultural issues, they function as principalities They're and powers in a region. They're strong men. They're stre- strongholds. Absolutely. And, uh, you, you know, uh, the, 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 the culture wars, are they, they are a cheap imitation of what's happening in that spirit realm. And so many people are operating blinded uh, by the need to be liked and affirmed by people who don't share their values. 
as if being liked or being applauded by the crowd is the highest box on their Maslow hierarchy of needs. And I just go, if you got into this business to be liked by people, you haven't read the gospels, you have not identified with the sufferings of Christ, and frankly, you're in the wrong business. Of course, we're not trying to be intentionally disliked, but if we can't ever create parallels between what the scriptures communicate in an orthodox sense and where our culture is in a contemporary sense, we have failed the basic hermeneutical test, test and we are doing a disservice to our people. We are doing a disservice to the people who show up in our churches Sunday after Sunday, and yet they are so undiscipled in their hearts and in their lives that they align on the heretical side of the direction that culture is headed. Well, and I'd say fear and courage are both contagious. Yes. And if you bring a spirit of fear into the church, and that's what happened, I think, during COVID and BLM, it's really hard to cast that spirit out because yeah. spirit of fear. And once you bring a spirit of fear, and sometimes the spirit of fear just shows up as timidity, right, or fear of man, or uh, a, an inordinate awareness of self-image and yeah. approval. Yeah. And as soon as you get that in the church, it's a, it is a counterfeit. It is a demonic spirit. Right. And, 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 and it's just so weird because I, I've always said, I think we should be seeker. Well, two things. One, the gospel is offensive in an attractive way. Yes. Yeah. It is, it is a bizarre thing to look at a person and say, your biggest problem is you. Right. They're like, that. <laughs> intriguing. Yeah. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> problem you are not your solution right that's the beginning of the gospel right um and most people have never heard that and when they do they're offended but they're intrigued yes um and and then within that as well you know if you're truly going to be true to the gospel you're going to need to create within the church a countercultural kingdom environment and culture you right. know we were talking i know you and i both are kind of nerding out on bowen family systems yeah, yeah, and yeah. theory um but within the church system and the culture like if it becomes, I've always said it should be seeker sensible. We should be explaining things to non-Christians in a way that they can understand. Yeah. When it's just like, hey, you know, welcome to our, you know, fellowship. Or, I don't know what that word right. means. You know? Right. Um, but seeker sensitive literally changes the culture, the environment of the church so that the non-Christian feels welcome. But yeah. as soon as that happens, the Christian doesn't. Right. Because like, for example, I've talked to guys recently, they're like, well, how do we walk with the LGBTQIA alphabet soup people? And how do we make sure that they feel welcome in our church? Well, they shouldn't. If you're a dude in a dress and you show up to men's ministry, you should feel very out of place. <laughs> if we create an environment where that guy feels welcome, all the heterosexual guys will feel unwelcome. Right. So I'm like, let's create a culture of health and invite unhealthy people into it. Let's not create a culture of unhealth where unhealthy people feel welcome. Right. Yeah. So <clears throat> this is a lot of what's happening in churches today. Mm -hmm. Some they're they're going down that line. We want to create a, uh, an environment that's affirming and loving, and then so people start to come in. But with that's, the greatest of intentions. You yeah, know, it's like, nice. Yeah. But what happens is the people that are in the church that are trying to walk biblically and raise their children according to biblical standards, they look at who's coming in and they don't see transformation happen happening in them. In fact, there's affirmation happening for them. Mm -hmm. And so that causes them to question what they're doing and mm -hmm. creates instability for them as a family. Mm -hmm. And that can't be as the church. Yeah. So there, there should be a, a healthy environment so that when someone comes in, 
there is the a, a sense and an awareness of grace, but there's a sense and awareness of truth. Mm-hmm. And that's how it was with Jesus. There was a attraction to him, but desire to repent of your sin mm-hmm. when you were around him. Yep. And so that has to be true. I, I know we've experienced that here in our church. We've had some people come in who um, later we found were even part of that as they decide the LGBTQ plus alphabet soup. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of uncertainty just because of the situation. Later it was discovered, tried to call to a repentance. People in the church began to feel a bit uncomfortable. There had to be a moment where we said, if you're going to stay in this environment, there has to be change and repentance mm-hmm. uh, because it's causing people to stumble and causing questions in the young and mm-hmm. it's 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 not healthy for you nor for the entire church. Unfortunately, the person said they refused to change, mm-hmm. and we lost them out of the environment, out of our church environment, and they they chose to go on in their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is these are the delicate lines that the church has to walk today, but they can't be delicately dealt with. <laughs> yep, they have to be exactly definitively dealt with yeah. and know what we're doing and yeah. how to create environments That's where good. there is life and truth. So good. Right. That's not loving someone. Right. Well, and it seems like the Holy Spirit is the only one who is no longer welcome at our open and everyone, affirming churches. Well, the open and affirming church, everyone is welcome except for God and everything is welcome except for the word of God. Right. Mm. All, all, all people and all beliefs are welcome except for the spirit of God and the word of God. Right. I think for me, one of the things that COVID revealed is how poor our ecclesiology has been in the Western church. Well, the buffoonery of like, close your church to love your neighbor. It's crazy. <laughs> They're going to die and go to hell yeah. because I love them. Right. And I didn't open the church. I mean, when people are gripped with fear, they're thinking about death. They're dealing with issues of mortality, and the church is like, we're not going to talk about that because we're going to be closed. Right. You're missing a massive opportunity. Right. Because even if they don't die of COVID, they're going to die. Correct. And for that window where they're considering death, it's an opportunity to talk about Christ and resurrection, and and that the, the end for us is really the beginning. Right. Right. Mm. For us, what we realized being in the Northwest was once the governor's orders had come out to close down, you know, all of society and, and especially obviously the churches, you know, the next week our governor is holding press conferences telling people that they need to go out to the street and protest. Mm. And, and what I began to recognize is actually what our local government was doing is it was picking winners and losers based on ideology. Mm-hmm. Ideology of our progressive leaders, you were more than welcome and encouraged to act in all sorts of ways and to congregate with thousands of people in the street and chant your chants and yeah, sing yeah. your songs. But God forbid you preach the gospel, you call people to repentance, you take Holy Communion, you baptize yeah. folks. That is a super spreader event. And so for me, when I saw our state government picking winners and losers on ideological lines, I thought, you know, we're not gonna put up with this. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna open back up. And when we did, uh, you know, it felt like all of hell broke out against our church, but it turned out to be the best thing for us because what it did is it created a place for people who actually wanted to go to church. Mm-hmm. Wanted to be there and they were committed to this thing, not just from a social perspective, but from a theological perspective. You know, for me, the church exists to glorify Jesus. 
and in doing so, bring people into an encounter with his presence. There's a lot of things that the church does that are awesome and great and we should do them, but the primary reason the church exists is to glorify Jesus. And so when our government is coming out and saying, well, the best way that you're gonna love your neighbors is by closing down our churches, we're allowing pagan leaders to frame the theology of the church. Yeah. And you've got right. people just going along with it because they have not yet been deeply formed by the gospel and don't have the theological foundation to be able to stand on their own two feet. And so I just said, we're not going to allow the governor to be the one who gets to rewrite the orthodox history of the church. No, the church exists to glorify Christ. And well, especially well, in the Northwest, different than the Bible Belt, you know, people who show up to church want to be at church. Well, yeah. And yeah. part of it is as well, there is... There is something in times of trouble and trial that God's people gathering, right. it encourages and it strengthens. And, you know, you see it in the days of Daniel, um, you know, the Babylonian Empire closes the church. You see that in the days of Elijah, where Ahab closes the church. The times that the government has closed the church in Scripture were always times of incredible spiritual warfare and demonic advancement. Mm. And so, you know, this buffoonery of like our pagan governor, again, like in California, it's like, hey, if you come into the church, you, well, you shouldn't come into the church and you shouldn't sing, but you can go out into the street and you can scream and protest. Right. Mm -hmm. that, that people who hate God can assemble and verbalize, but people who love God can't. Right. And if you're, if you're stupid enough to think that that's not spiritual warfare, Right. Um, you, you have not yet graduated from the kindergarten of ministry preparation. Yeah. And, and, and the thing of it is as well is like, what's next? I mean, right. and as soon as, and I think it was BLM, I think it was the CDC, uh, I think it was COVID. I think now you're going to see heading into election season, you're going to see, you're going to see some pastors that are just literally going to turn the pulpit into political rallies. And then you're going to find others that they won't even speak out on the issues of the day. Right. And this is where I think, so this is going to be my little ad. This is why I tend to have the meat and potatoes for 30 years, be preaching through books of the Bible. Right. It forces you to deal with things. Right. So like in, I just finished Jude. Jude is an incredibly negative book. It is all what he is against. Right. And so people are like, we want to be known by what we're for right. and what we're against. Good luck preaching Jude. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Jude is literally just a sniper, just shooting false teachers right. from beginning to end. Um, and as you're preaching through books of the Bible, there are things that you just have to deal with. Like I taught the story of Elijah and Ahab and Jezebel. And you're like, you can't not talk about government and politics. You preach through the book of Nehemiah, the entire backdrop is a governmental rebuilding of an abandoned worship center in Israel. I mean, right. you go to the Exodus, the whole backdrop is the nation of Egypt. You go to the New Testament, the whole backdrop is emperor worship in the Roman Empire. I mean, anybody who's like, we don't deal with government and we don't deal with social and cultural issues, like, then literally, you literally cannot touch the Bible. Right. That's true. Even if you're going to deal with end times, what you find yeah. in the book of Revelation, the end times is government rising up against Christ. Yeah, exactly. So it, it is. It is the backdrop of the Bible. So I I don't know. I just have a little break with churches and pastors that say, well, we don't talk about governmental issues. Yeah. I was like, I don't know how you do that. How, how do can you, yeah, you not? Exactly. What do you talk about? What is the basis for all the things? Yeah. Because 
yeah, every story is is weaved in with that. Yeah, and what you're what you're saying then is this gospel that I believe, this this word of God that I believe is big enough for your life, but it's not bigger it's not big enough for anything else. No. It's yeah. not big enough to transform the culture. It's not big uh-huh. enough to transform the way we live yeah. and, and cause people to be set free yeah. and for the kingdom of heaven to come to the kingdoms of this world. Yeah. It's it's not big enough for all yeah. of that. So we don't touch on those things. Yeah. And I think also another factor at play in all this is like, well, the world's just so tough and hard and like bad. Let's not even try. Basically, mm-hmm. we shouldn't be trying to make heaven here on earth. What? Yep. It's like thy, thy kingdom come, yes. thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is this in is heaven. this is the prayer. This is the calling of Jesus That's, upon us. Yeah, Jesus' prayer for us <clears throat> that yep. we are to pray that yep. the kingdom of heaven would be here on earth as yep. well, you know. And yep. so that's what that's what we need to focus on. Yeah. Love it. Move over to a therapeutic mindset yes. where it still steps to self-improvement. Right. That's all you can do. Right. And it re-hardwires and re-engineers your theological framework. The center of the gospel is not self-improvement. It's self-denial. Unless a man deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. And so we've inverted things and we've made it about us. We've made it about the human condition. We've made it about therapeutic deism. We've made it TED Talks with the name Jesus sprinkled in there every once in a while so that we can be as least offensive as possible in hopes of growing our churches as big as possible. But if we grow wide and we don't grow deep, we will not survive what is coming next. Well, you look at that at the Christian colleges. Right. Or some of the supposedly Christian colleges. The the kids are not deep and so the theology is not right. Right. And mm. the and and the commitments are usually to the opposing team. Right. I mean, you're seeing this avalanche where Christian colleges, I mean, it's just unbelievable. Right, right. Well, and, you know, when people begin to slide and drift, they don't drift to orthodoxy, they drift away from it. It's like gravity. It always goes down unless you fight it. Mm -hmm. It's not like, well, left to our own devices, people get more biblical and more conservative. That's not true. (laughs) Yeah. It is the spirit of the age, which is driving them in the opposite direction. And you know, like you're saying, you can't preach through the Bible without confronting cultural realities and inferior religious doctrines. I mean, even the critique of Jesus to the churches in Asia Minor in the book of Revelation. You've tolerated Jezebel. You've given in to these types of things. Hey, we know that you're doing more work than you've ever done before and you love people and you're enduring, but I have these things against you. You have tolerated false doctrine. The apostolic witness of the first century, the vast majority of the letters Paul and Peter write, they are writing to correct false doctrine and false ideas. Why? Because even 20, 30 years after the planting of these great churches in Ephesus, Philippi, Thessaloniki, and others, the apostolic authors have to say, and now we got to get realigned. And that was decades after they have been planted by people who witnessed the resurrection of Christ. And so fast forward 2000 years, we need some course correction in the American church. And we have to be unafraid and unashamed to call people to the orthodoxy of scripture. And for me, you know, when people begin to deconstruct and they begin to slide towards, you know, uh, spiritual apathy, it's so interesting to me, Pastor Mark, because one of the first things that goes is a high view of scripture. Mm -hmm. 
scripture goes, a high view of church goes. But it all starts with the deconstruction of the narrative of scripture. This idea, well, you know, the Bible is more kind of like an inspired, you know, holy text, but it's not really authoritative. It doesn't really have the authority to course correct my life. It's more cookie, you know, a fortune cookie type, you know, statements from kind of a philosophical Jesus who, you know, has, you know, some interesting things to say about life and riches and wealth and caring for the poor. And they, they miss out on the breadth and the depth of scripture and in doing so, when you disconnect from an authoritative canon, you are left to look for authoritative voices yep. in lesser religious spaces. Wow. In the Northwest, it's not that people aren't religious. It's that they're yeah. religious in the wrong direction. They're, they're, I mean, as far as if Romans 1 is to be believed and they worshiped and serve creation rather than mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. every environmental activist, every Green New Deal, yep. <laughs> climate saver is profoundly, deeply religious. Yep. Right. So, so let me do this. We've got a few minutes left. So that's the left. But... Um, and, and there's a ditch on both sides. Correct. So the ditch on the left is you don't believe the Bible or you turn it into, you know, all I've ever read is the Sermon on the Mount and, right. you know, just sort of accepted Mahatma Gandhi in my heart. The other way to go is on the far right, and that is those who will hold to the authority of Scripture, but they, they are not spirit-filled and spirit-led, so they weaponize the Word of God and they end up becoming Galatians and older brothers and religious neatniks, and these are the cessationists. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> you believe the word of God, but you, you use it like the guys who argued with Jesus because he got it wrong. Right, right. And so that's the ditch on the right. And I think what happens, and if we wanna get into that, we can. I think that kids that grew up in the hard right, fundamental, mm -hmm. cessationist, weaponizing of the Bible, the word of God without the spirit of God, they ended up becoming the deconstructionists, the progressives, and those who then um, wanted to have a soft version of Christianity because the one that they experienced didn't have the life in the spirit. And that's good. That's worth pausing on right there. <laughs> so, yeah. so good. We've talked about some of this before. I think what uh, Mark Driscoll is trying to point out here is if that the generation that grew up in a home and a church where the gospel was seen more as a list of rules and it was mm -hmm. hard and it was, there was a, there was not a lot of love and a lot of grace and mm -hmm. uh, understanding your identity in Christ. He's, he's saying that generation grew up to become those who are the soft woke yeah. generation group yeah. now and, and church yeah. version. Cause it was way too hard and it was <clears throat> weaponized and they, these people didn't live out all the things that they may have said that they right. uh, agreed with. At yeah. Least. They, they saw a version of Christianity in church or out in public, but when they got home, it was very different. It was yeah. very hard yeah. and, and, and rule based uh -huh. and not grace oriented. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, and so they became the ones who wanted the softer, soft yeah. version today. So just a little bit of follow up there. He's going to go, he's going to keep going that had the control of the system. Yes, yes. And for me, that's why, you know, one of my taglines for our church is that we're contending for revival in our day and reformation in our lifetime. In a reformation, the church returns to the word. In a revival, the church returns to the spirit. We need both. If you get the word without the spirit, you'll dry up. You get the spirit without the word, you'll blow up. But if you marry the word to the spirit, by God's grace, you can grow up. <laughs> Love it.
you know, when people begin to use the word of God as a window to look into the life of somebody else instead of a mirror to look into the life mm. of themselves, yeah. then the word of God becomes this weaponized chainsaw to do as much damage as possible to prove the rightness of your very narrow theological paradigm. Uh, if we have ever needed the spirit of God alive and active in our churches today, it's now. If, if we have ever needed the return of the spirit's power, weapons over warfare, not carnal, but mighty in battle for the pulling down of strongholds. If we have ever needed the witness of God's spirit, moving signs, wonders, miracles, genuine stuff. If we have ever needed it, it's now. You know, the yeah. apostle Paul says this, I could have come to you with wise philosophy and great words, but no, I came in a demonstration of power. And the reality is, you know, if you can argue somebody into the kingdom of God, you can argue them out of the kingdom of yeah. God. But a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man who just has an argument. When people have an experience mm, so with good. the God who still responds with fire, the God who still transforms people's lives at the altar, the God who still has authority over death, hell, and the grave, demons, and can transform somebody in a finite moment of time. When people have an experience with a God who has power, they move from just the acclamation of, of spiritual facts or theological nuances, they move just from the academic and the forensic into the experiential, the John yep. 7, out of your innermost being flows rivers of living water. These things Jesus spoke concerning the Holy Spirit who had not yet been given, but now he has. And you're right, for every mile of road, you got two miles of ditch. You've got a ditch on the left, and then you've got a ditch on the right. You've got and the I, older brother and the younger brother. Yes, yes, and we see that even in the prodigal son. You got the older brother and the younger brother dynamic. And that was actually the message you preached at Cedar Park. I'll never forget it. You preached on the older brother, younger brother dynamic. And that was very profound. And for me, you know, the role that we have as pastors is to provide the prophetic nuance, not nuance in a sense where you never take a stand on issues because you're trying to be so calculated. But what I mean is that we hold the truth of the tension and we can speak prophetically to the left hand, we can speak prophetically to the right hand, but most of all what we do is we are calling people to complete total allegiance and fidelity to Christ. This will cost you everything. You know the way I preach in Seattle is different than the way I preach in Snohomish. Because in Seattle, I, 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 am, I, I preach with an aggression that, that is, is, is on a different level because if these kids are gonna get right with God and give their lives to something, they, they wanna give their lives to something that matters, yeah. that actually has yeah. the power to transform. Mm -hmm. so, so. And when I'm making altar calls, I'm not saying now, you know, if anything randomly touched your heart or you had a thought, would you wink at me at the end of this prayer and you'll be born again? I'm like, if you wanna give everything to Jesus, if you wanna reject the sexual cult and heresy of this day, if you wanna break free from pharmacia and addiction, if you wanna be something else than just an echo of the demonic culture we live in, run to this altar, give your life to Jesus, and begin a disciple pro discipleship process that is gonna work the hell out of your life. <laughs> what I found is people respond to that type of message because they no. go, I've never had somebody talk to me like this. Yep. We've sold people a costless Christianity. Yeah. And what it's produced is a powerless faith. 
And when this costs you something, I'm giving up my right to self-define, I'm giving up my right to self-identify, I'm giving up my right to be liked and complimented and applauded by the crowd, the world behind me to cross before me, I am going all in on Jesus. What that creates in your life is a desperate need for God by his mighty right hand, his strength and his power to make himself known and manifest in and through your sphere of influence. And it's so funny about the cessationist type stuff. You know, I've had the privilege of traveling overseas and doing a lot of missions work in third world countries and in places where if God doesn't show up in power, they're literally dead. And the only reason why cessationism has found prominence in the West is because we have in our own minds outgrown our need for the power of God. We have been educated beyond our own usefulness and in doing so, we have become fools. Well, and mm. wow. appreciate it. Uh, I was hoping you'd get excited. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, the marrying of the word and the spirit is the only hope. Yes. And, um, and those who have the word without the spirit, they attack those who do have the spirit in a way that those who have the spirit don't attack those who only have the word. Yeah. And I would say um, the Bible held by cessationism is a problem, not a solution. And it is as close as a Christian can get to atheism mm. without losing their faith. So we'll just leave it there. Wow. Wow. Good stuff. So, good. so they use that term cessationism. It's the uh -huh. belief that the, <clears throat> the gifts of the spirit have ended, that there is yeah. no more demonstration yeah. ceased. outworking of the mm -hmm. spirit of God in our day. And that's, that's a shame, um, you know, to think that the spirit is now no longer causing the kind of redemption, healing, and miraculous transformation of people's lives. And we've seen that here at Vertical, that there is there is active, present yep. participation of the Spirit of God today yep. in the lives of people. And when they're right, when you, when you boldly have both, when you have the confident stability of the Word of God mm -hmm. being preached just as that, unashamedly, yep. boldly, and then you have confidence in the power of God to transform people's lives, and you start telling those stories. Mm. It's wildfire. It, it continues. We, we've, we've, we've seen this it. series set free, which I thought was going to be two months long. 18 uh, weeks, yeah. literally. Four, four months <laughs> in yeah. is what it ended up so far, and then I, I thought we landed it this past week, uh -huh. but God is already saying, no, there's more to come. So... You put both of those together, there will be transformation. And that is what's yeah. desperately needed in our day. There, so there, churches need to stand boldly upon the word of God mm -hmm. and know where they stand in terms yes. of where do we stand in terms of who we are and who the government says mm -hmm. we are? Where do we stand mm -hmm. in terms of where we are and what we will affirm and what we will not affirm mm -hmm. and what we will call out in repentance? This is yep. a day and a, a time of, of choosing. It's choose you this day yep. time. It has exactly. a demand for churches to be different than they have been yep. in the last decade, for pastors to be different than they have in the last decade and, last decade, and for believers to be different. Yep. Exactly. That's what were. I was going to say is, yes, Pastors, leaders, elders that need to have to be theologically, biblically sound, right. need to be rooted in the <laughs> word, but mm -hmm. not just those in charge, but all the more to the congregation, to yep. the believer, to the everyday lay person is yep. another term that they would also be rooted in scriptures. Don't just base your life on what someone else is saying to you or what someone else says. Here's what the Bible says. That is a whole other different part of history that we haven't yeah. even talked about today, you know? Yeah. But every person 
needs to understand that the Bible has the power to change mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, if the promise that Jesus makes that the gates of hell will not prevail against us, then we have to know that's not because we coddled up against those gates of hell yeah. and became buddies with exactly. them. Exactly. And somehow exactly. gained a, a hearing with them. No, it was uh-huh. because the church stood strong upon yeah. the foundation of Jesus Christ and so refused good. to yield. And Jesus comes rushing to the aid of that church and says, oh, those gates, they will not prevail against that church. So uh, for that reason, we listen to Mark Driscoll and Russell Johnson today because of their familiar stance uh, along with us on the Word of God. And it's encouraging to see other pastors uh, taking that stand today. Uh, And it's our prayer that this has been encouraging to you. You're not alone. We, uh, We stand together as uh, God's people, and he has a purpose and calling for us in this day. It's not to crawl inside our shell. It's not to coddle up next to the world, but it is to draw close to Jesus and stand upon his word with all the boldness and confidence that he will protect. He will set captives free. He will stand with his church. So Mm -hmm. with all that, lift him up and live him out.